Welcome back to Rinkwise, everyone. We are New England's premier hockey podcast produced by the New England Hockey Journal. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. We're back again with another great episode, of course, on deck with a special guest, St. Mark's head hockey coach, Carl Corzini. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Stephanie. I appreciate it. Well, and thank you so much for driving through the Boston traffic all the way from St. Mark's to join us good hockey person going through all that traffic, but we're really excited to have you and talk hockey. And again, welcome. No, thank you very much. It, it wasn't that bad of traffic. I was actually at my son's graduation from kindergarten. So he was really excited about the fact that I was going to be on television today. <laughs> and they asked him, what does he, what does he want to be when he grows up? And in front of everyone, he said that he wants to play for the Bruins and the Blackhawks like his dad. Yes. But yeah, no, it's it's really nice to be here, and traffic was very easy well, this that's, afternoon. Well, that is good to hear, because these days it seems like it's not in, in Massachusetts, almost going everywhere. But, uh, but that kind of starts us off. We definitely want to get into a little bit more of your background, and uh, I know you have just an incredible hockey resume, so why don't you get us started with that a little bit? <laughs> I think the most important thing is that I was born and raised in Framingham, Massachusetts. Nice. And I think at the time, really lucky in the group that I grew up playing with, and we will always tell the kids, like, you, you see it now. There's a lot of club hockey, and obviously there are a lot of super teams. But when I was growing up, the Framingham Squared A's that I played for, we had three kids that played in the National Hockey League. We had seven kids that played Division One hockey just out of, t- out of our town. Like, three kids that played in the National Hockey League, myself, Blake Belfay, and then Dan Lacature. And at the time, Frank Belfay, Blake's dad, ran the team. And it wasn't really typical practice that we had. What Frank used to do was he would split the ice into three. When we we would always have half ice, you were always splitting it with some, some other team. And Frank would split that half ice into three different sections. One would be a game. Some would, some, another station would be some sort of structure. And I remember the other station was, we were always doing something with our feet. And Frank made the game fun. We all competed, and so we grew up playing ice hockey together. We played baseball, and I couldn't have have asked for a better environment to to grow up in. And when it came time to make a decision, should I go to Framingham Public School or should I move on to, to the prep ranks, I didn't really know what I was getting into. My family gave me three different choices of where I could apply, and that was Belmont, <laughs> Belmont Hill, Roxbury Latin, and St. Sebastian's, all day, all boy nice. schools. And uh, yeah, I, I knew within maybe five minutes of stepping on to St. Mark, St. Sebastian's campus that I was going to go there. It was just a feel that I had, and that's what you'll always tell families, right? Like, there are a lot of great prep schools out there, but you'll know within two, three minutes what's the right feel for you. And I, I walked into St. Sebastian's. I was standing in what is their library kind of entryway and three kids surrounded me right away. Like, who are you looking for? And I, I still remember I was looking for Mike Tui, who actually is from Milton. And they're like, oh, he's in the front office. He wants to, he's filling out the forms to, to walk you around. We'll take you to him. And I'm like, this is where I'm going. And I did St. Sebastian's 7 through seven through 12. And it was the greatest six years of my life, like, changed who I was as a person that was almost solely due to well Bill Burrick obviously I think is Mm. one of the best headmasters in all of all of New England like someone that you truly look up to and you you want to aspire to be like the one thing about Bill and I've really gone 
I haven't even stopped talking. I apologize, Stephanie. This is what we love. This yeah. is this is the podcast. Okay, we want good. You to talk nonstop. Awesome. Yeah. Bill Burke, someone that I try to aspire to be as an educator at at St. Mark's. I think the one thing that stood out about Bill is that he knew everyone's name, right? Like not only the 365 students that are at St. Sebastian's, but you know their parents, their siblings. After I had graduated BU and and I had actually stopped playing hockey, I was just calling Bill to let him know like I was going to use him as a reference for, for a job. And it had probably been eight years since we had actually talked. And when Bill picked up the phone, the first thing he said is, how's your sister, Stephanie? Wow. And so my sister, Stephanie, was born with brain damage and, and had done Special Olympics. So like pretty recognizable when she's around the ranks, but just for that to be the first words out of his, out of his mouth, like, right. Like the empathy that Bill has and, there's no secret why St. Sebastian has been so successful, not like just in their athletic program, but in school in general. So I went there and seven through seven through nine, I didn't speak. Like if I could have hidden it in the background, <laughs> I, I certainly would have, which is not a, it's not a great environment. To, and now look, now yeah, look how well you communicate. Yeah, now it's, yeah, it's 10 minutes and I haven't stopped talking, <laughs> but we had a change in coaching. So I had Dan Williams and he, he retired after my freshman year. And then Steve Didigian and, and Jed Doherty came in. And it was the first time in my life I had ever had a conversation with a coach where they were interested in your life outside of hockey. Right. Like that's even my, like my dad as a youth hockey coach, right? Like all, everyone was so interested in goals, assists, wins. But I remember you're skating around at the beginning of practice and every day, Jed Doherty, who was also from Framing, he was like, how you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? How am I doing? Like, I, what, what are we doing for practice? And then the next day, Didge would be like, what are your dreams and aspirations? Like, what do you, what do you want to do in hockey? What do you want to do outside of hockey? And so to, to establish those relationships with, with Didge and with, with Jed, like changed my life in, in the sense that like, yeah, you, you have a passion for the game of hockey, but you knew with those two that they cared more about you than the result, right? Like for, for us in, as coaches, right, the, the results are the, the wins and the losses and as an educator in the classroom, what are the grades? But I, f- I found for myself that I performed best when I knew that the adults in my life really, really cared about me. And I think, right, like obviously I have a very supportive family, my sister Kristen, my sister Stephanie, and my parents, Anne-Marie and Bob, like they made it to every sporting event that I ever did in my life. But in that instance, when I was trying to figure out who I was as a person, I, I like to have Didge and Jed by my side the whole way, like I couldn't have asked for anything more. Like Jed and I are like friends. He's showed up at every big event in my life. And I talk to him probably once a week. And like that experience at St. Sebastian's and having those coaches for those four years helped cultivate a passion within the sport itself. And I made the decision for, for me, like I, I went from St. Sebastian's to Boston University and that like that's a whole different culture, but what they set the foundation for, like to, to compete, to think the game, it made it an easier transition into play for Jack Park. And obviously for, for me at the time, a lot... I think the three previous captains at St. Sebastian's had gone to Boston University, like Chris, Chris Kelleher, Albie O'Connell, Mike Greer had gone there before. So I just made that transition more comfortable as I was getting ready to play for sure. Jack, Jack Parker. And yeah, then I, four years at, at Boston University, 
So you took all four years there. You didn't leave. Oh, yeah. I'm not that good, Stephanie, right? <laughs> like I took the four years there. No instance that I ever think that I was going to play in the National Hockey League or really even have the opportunity to, to play pro hockey. Like my idea going into BU was that I was going, the one thing I wanted to do was take Italian. Wow. Right. Like I had taken six years of Latin at, at St. Sebastian's. And what I was really aspiring to do was I wanted to take Italian so that I could go and play in the, the Italian league. And that's what I thought that my kind of ceiling was. And then you get to be you and that is hockey PhD, right? Like the opportunity to play for Jack Parker, someone that obviously knows the X's and O's, but more so than that, the psychology of the game and the, the ability to get the best out of his players. I mean, certainly it's an uncomfortable environment. Like he was going to push you, but like I, I have no shot of playing pro hockey and definitely not playing in the National Hockey League as, as small a time as it was if I don't play for him and I don't, and I'm not coached by Brian DeRoche and I'm not coached by M- Mike Bavis and like the intricacies. And I was just saying into the in the hallway to Paul Canada, I think I took... I think I took Mike Davis for granted at the, at the time, and when I got out of, I got out of playing and was side by side with him as a colleague in, in sat, Mass Satellite, like how smart he was mm. in the small details that he knew in the game. So just to have that opportunity, right, like just by osmosis to be around Jack and Brian, Perte Hassanen, like set the standard for what I, I could possibly accomplish. So, yeah, I like BU was was difficult at times. They pushed you, but they got the best out of you, and I really enjoyed my experience there. And then, yeah, it was a long journey through minor league hockey to get the opportunity to play a limited amount of games in the National Hockey League. But that was like the the culmination of of some hard work and some sacrifice of your family, especially your sisters, right? Like for, for them. And I feel bad looking back at it at the time. Like when you look at like any of the vacations that we, we took like Niagara Falls, right? <laughs> right? Like you're driving eight hours to, to go out there and eating family meals in our caravan along the way. Or so like every vacation that we ever did was centered around hockey or baseball. And my sisters sacrificed and never complained like the that portion of it too, right? Like that support that I had from from all from everyone in my family, like the unconditional love that they showed me, like it made that a possibility. And yeah, I think I, the, my favorite memory is getting called up to the National Hockey League for the first time, and it was it was a January of my third year. Like I had been playing in the American League for two full years, and I even got sent down my second year to the East Coast League which was right like a humbling moment right but like to work your way back into a, a scenario where you're like just on the cusp of playing the National Hockey League and our coaches at the time were Scott Scott Gordon had actually just taken over from Mike Sullivan who moved up to take over the Bruins job and Scott called me into the called me in the office and and Lou Merloni had just signed a deal with the Boston Red Sox and Lou Merloni's from Framingham of course and I don't know what I'm thinking at the time and Scott Scott says to me oh Framingham's gonna be really proud two guys in the national two two guys playing major league sports and I was like oh yeah who's the other guy they're (laughs) like you and to have the opportunity to go out and call my parents and listen to my dad cry like wow that's probably 
right? Like at that point, it kind of sinks in, like just all the sacrifice that they put in to put you in that position. And that was really exciting. And yeah, I, I, I think the biggest mistake that I ever made in pro hockey was not going to Europe early enough. Like we, we always talk to kids at St. Mark's about like self-awareness, right? right like right. what is the information that other people are telling you that should help dictate like the route you take in school and life and hockey. And I wasn't good enough, right? Like to play full season in the National Hockey League, kept getting like cups of coffee here and there. Like we can tell stories in here. Oh, absolutely. So I play for the Chicago Blackhawks. All about stories. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. We are bad. <laughs> right? Like that's clearly why. But it's also the Blackhawks. Yeah. Though, right? So it's like. But that's clearly why I am there at the time, right? Like this is 06, 07. They are on the cusp of getting the first overall pick. Like the next year, right? That draft, they get Patrick Kane. We are playing in front of like 6,000 people. The game itself is blacked out on TV, right? Like you can't get it unless people are going to the rink. Like that's how bad and dire that situation is. They played in one game and we lose to Nashville like seven to two, but two guy, two forwards get injured in the game and I get called into Stan Bowman's office and I'm like, all right, like clearly I know what's happening here. I'm getting sent down and Stan says like, oh, it's, it's a numbers game, right? Like. And that, like, you're obviously, like, growing up with my family, like, my dad born and raised, well, born in Dorchester, but raised in Watertown. My mom raised in, in South Boston, so, like, you trust authority. But I was, right. like, at that right. point, like, I'm 28 years old. Right. I just looked at Stan, like, I'm not good enough, right? Like, that's a reality. And he's, like, yeah. Right, like, which was which was fine. But I still kept getting that those little games here and there and that taste and I wanted to keep pushing it and until it was like clear that it was done for me and then I went on to Europe played in 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 Germany I just wish that I had done that earlier not just for the playing sake but the experiential learning of it all like right like we I lived in Ingolstadt and then Straubing so in lower Bavaria and from there, you could travel to Austria, Italy, Czech Republic, and it'd take you three, four hours. And that's what Christine and I did for the whole time that we were there. And, right, like the fans over there treat you incredibly well, but just the opportunity to travel. And I wish that I was a better player when I went over there just so that I would have, a, have had a little bit more fun in the playing because just at that point in my career, I wasn't – like my game was – was predicated on speed and I just didn't have it anymore. And then it becomes, then it becomes like, who are you? Like it was time to retire more. So like Christine, she works for TJ Hex and they had given her some time off Mm -hmm. and I couldn't, I couldn't ask her to, to come travel with me when she, she had a really good job back at home. And like, it was clear to me, it was time to kind of come up with a, a new career path. And I think the thing that is hard for people to realize about like pro athletes is that they're human and that next like 18 months in my life was really difficult because you're trying to you're trying to search for a job but your whole life to that point had been you you had identified as that in that one sport it it has been everything that I had done from the age of of nine until at that point, I think I was 32, 33, which is still fairly young, but, and I had my whole life ahead of me, but who am I? Like, what am I going to do? And the only thing like 
I knew was like that I wanted to, to help people. So I'd actually like, and for, for me, really lucky that I'd worked with Mike Boyle through, through BU. And that was something that I had a passion for. So I actually did strength and conditioning for a while while I was coaching at Weston High. And then knew that if, if given the chance that I would certainly love to get back into the prep school ranks and, and I just got lucky in the sense that Scott Young, who obviously the director of player personnel for Vancouver was the old St. Mark's coach. And we had done some stuff at BU and I was working off ice with his son, Tyler and a lot of his friends. And it made the natural, natural transition from, from that into St. Mark's and, I don't even want to look at the clock because that was probably like <laughs> 15, 20 minutes of me talking. Oh. I really apologize about that. It's incredible. That's, <laughs> that's what we want. It's so interesting. First off, just an incredible background and so many points I think we can take from that, but just a, a remarkable, I think, background and stories. And so, because it also, I think, points that we can also discuss is your hockey background. It's also, if we tie it into the world, the hockey world now, it's also very different, like starting from the youth world to college to prep. So your path essentially framing hand youth, which is very different from today with all the club scene and what have you. And then St. Seb's and BU and then to the pros. So it's kind of, maybe call it like a kind of a clean path and so if we even revisit back to Framingham youth I mean that's almost unheard of now right that players will come up through their youth ranks or excuse me their town youth ranks and have the success that you've had the the select hockey scene has really made a big impact in our world yeah it's so different right like when we were playing it was much easier and I don't envy the position that the kids are in right now right like for me it was so much easier like I knew my path when I was eight years old right like I was going to play Framingham youth hockey like if you're really good there are only six club teams but you could still play both then I was going to go to high school if I had the opportunity to be good enough like I would go to a college and then you take it from there the path right now is and I don't like I don't want to it is difficult it's difficult for kids to make decisions but at the same time like I benefit from that too because when I went to high school, St. Seb's is beating St. Mark's 12 nothing, mm. right? Like, so what you're seeing is the opportunity for every kid to find a spot where they can be highlighted, right? Like, and that's at a, at a young age. And then we're definitely the benefit of that too, right? Like, when prep hockey, especially in Massachusetts, like 1996, 97, you're looking at Belmont Hill, Lawrence Academy, Thayer Academy, Nobles, and St. Seb's, right? And like... What does it look like outside of those five? It's probably pretty limited, right? right? And now, like at all of these schools, you're seeing so many good hockey players uh, across the board, right? Like that are coming to a St. Mark's because they have an opportunity to play as a younger freshman, to be on the top six where they might not have that opportunity somewhere else. But for, for me at the time, I didn't have to worry about skipping from program to program to to try to find that, right? Like I knew that I really enjoyed framing him youth hockey. I, I knew that I had good coaching, the people that uh, supported me. And then it was just going to be easy transition all the way around. And certainly has changed 
obviously there are a lot of good coaches out there at, at every level. So that part has probably changed too, right? Like there's right. so many good coaches, right. so many, yeah. so many people like yourself that are coming back from having played high level of hockey. And then now they're trying to help support our, our local kids, which is, which is great as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. And in fact, with our, our podcast, we just did with coach Paul Canato, it was one of the things we were talking about the, the expectations I think now at the youth level, right? Like I was telling a, a brief story, U10 group that I have, there's, three or four dads, they're all former NHLers or high-level college players talking about they're forming their team. And it's it's incredible, right? That's that's what a 10-year-old might be having for a coaching staff. Yeah, I, that, and I think I heard at like a coaching symposium, you just talk at like the youth level, like how many good coaches are trying to get back involved. And you look at it like when Scott was leaving St. Mark's to, to go to BU at the time in the league, you had Sean McGeckerin and Tony Monty, right? Like coaching at the high school level, right? Like trying to impart their wisdom on, on kids. And now you have, right? Like Freddie Meyer at, at the river school as well. Someone that has played 350 games in the national hockey league and kids get the opportunity to learn from him or Sean McCann at St. Seb's playing at Harvard and the, the IHL. Like there are so many good coaches and, Right, I think that's why you're seeing so many good players from from Massachusetts, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. the The pool seems to be getting larger, and it seems to be getting deeper with better talent also coming out at the younger ages. Yeah, I, I always like to say that we were much better back in the day, <laughs> but like you see the skill level right. on any any given day, right? Like that's what's changed a lot too, right? Like the idea that you have skills coaches, skating coaches, like it was so limited, right? Like Paul Vincent's the only one that did the skating, and I don't ever mm. remember mm. any of the skills coaches that you see day-to-day now but the kids are far more talented than any of us ever ever were at the time like they just have so many opportunities to to get on to get on the ice and be be with people that really want to help them right right and so and then looking at your time with St. Seb's I think there's a lot of really interesting points there because I think in the world where I think we're advising a lot of young student athletes on recruiting and and trips and whether it's college or the prep level you said some really points that I think hit home. And you, when you were making your decision, your parents gave you three choices. Yep. <laughs> it was one of those three. But St. Seb's was just, you just knew. Like you had the feeling you made really good connections with the people that were there. And sometimes I think that that's a decision or something that's not factored into these big decisions that families are making. Sometimes they're chasing things and they're not looking at, I think, what's really important. But like just getting that right feeling kind of like the warm and fuzzy if you will no absolutely right like i think the thing that people leave out right like, and the the buzzword is development right like and i use it certainly at saint mark's like here like our we we think our practice schedules are so much different but like a, a big part of that is the environment right and and what you're looking for as a whole and this is at least my opinion right like you're looking for people that care far more about you than the the end result right and and so now when you break the St. Mark's community into three different categories right like the academic the athletic and then the social piece to it like we always will say to families right like if one of those doesn't fit then the you're going to have a really difficult time there right like so if socially you're not an actual fit for the community of kids that are at St. Mark's, all right, then your academics and athletics might be a little bit of a struggle and then vice versa for the other two. Like 
You've got to go into the environment and know that that's the right fit for you, that the right people are there because at the end of the day, those are the ones that are going to support you for the four to six years that you're potentially out of school or if you're at like a BBNN, like K through 12, right? Like, so the environment means quite a bit and and that's personal to me too because, right, like, I don't think that I would have been as successful in hockey if I didn't mm-hmm. have the right people around me. Yeah. I think that's a reason why my family had always decided, right? Like I went to St. Tarsus, which was a, a parochial school in Framingham. There's a class of 11. And then I think what my family recognized about me at a young age was like, right? Like for lack of a better term, like I was a follower, mm. right? Like, I'm super competitive. Like I wasn't a, a naturally gifted student, but like if around right-minded people, like I was going to compete just to show that I could hang with them in the classroom. So I think like going to St. Tarsissi's and then going to St. Sebastian's where, right, like you're around people that were obviously far more gifted than me in the, in the classroom, but that I was going to have to compete with them. And the, the, the teachers and obviously Bill and my coaches were really concerned about me as the person, not like what I was putting forth, like grade wise and, and goals and assists. So yeah, the, that right environment, you're, you're, you're totally correct. Like that's left out and the decision-making process, a lot of people think what's the fastest way to the next step. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what so many people are concerned about and you'll get there. Right. Like that's the hard thing to, to kind of realize like it's all, it's a long path unless you are, uh, on that national development program, like there's a long path for these kids. So finding the right people is probably going to be as important as anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And as you mentioned, cause you know, if it hadn't been the right fit, then perhaps that progressional stepping stone from St. Seb's to BU, BU to the pros, like maybe that wouldn't have happened. Cause certainly when you transition to BU after St. Seb's, I mean, that's Obviously, one of the best men's Division One programs of all time, and playing for legendary hockey coach Jack Parker. Yeah, I think what St. Seb's did was set the foundation for who I was as a person. And I think the most important thing that they did there in that environment was allow me to explore who I was. But they were going to push me as well. That was in the classroom, and I think that like being around the teachers that pushed me. Like I had to figure out like who, who I was. And, and I think that was the most important thing that, that I did there because when I got to BU, it was the first time I ever met adversity in the sport of hockey. Yeah, yeah. Like my first game at BU, we went out to, I don't know, like the Badger Showdown. I don't remember what the actual name of it, but the first game we played Michigan State, who was like number two in the country. We win in the second game. I'm like, right, this isn't that bad. And then Jack pulls me aside. You're sitting out and I'm like, come again? <laughs> like, right. I'm not playing today. Yeah. And like, if I hadn't met the adversity, certainly in the classroom, I wouldn't have known how to respond to it. And I think that was really important for me because through that year, and that wasn't like, like hockey wise, wasn't that easy because right, you're playing with Chris Drury and Chris Kelleher and like all these great players. Like, so I certainly wasn't any, anywhere near the top of that, but like, that competitiveness, that foundation that I had from St. Sebastian's, it was like, all right, like, what are you going to do? Like, you've got to adjust here. And the adjustment for me was like, I end up for the next three years living in that weight room. Mm. Like, I think when I got to BU, I was 5'9", and 
maybe 155, 160, and I left like 5'9", 196. Like, and that was that was the environment that Glenn Harris and Mike Boyle created in that weight room. Like they made it competitive, but they made yep. it fun. Yeah. So I remember for me, it was that determination after my sophomore year. And I don't remember if it was Glenn or Mike were like, all right, you're good. How do you really make that change? And I just remember like two times a day being in the weight room, being with Mike, like who would run our like team lifts and then being in with Glenn, like individually, like I'm going to see if I can do something with this. But yeah, I mean, that foundation was certainly started at, at St. Seb's. And I think for me, like the resiliency piece, like, you've got to push through, you've got to f- find a way to adjust. And that's from St. Zeb's and then a little bit of my sister, Stephanie too, mm-hmm. right? Like seeing yeah. the struggles that she had gone through that you weren't going to take anything for granted. And I, I do, right? Like uh, I have an ability, I have an opportunity, like you've got to see if you can see this through. And yeah, just the people that have been in my, my life all the way around, like I've, I've been really fortunate. Yeah, and Mike Boyle, also another one, just really kind of the pioneer with the strength and conditioning portion of things and just a wonderful connection, I'm sure, to have as well. Yeah, I I started working out with, so satellite program started, and I think Paul has kind of talked about that. Like the satellite program tried to identify who were the top like 40 players in Massachusetts. You would practice on the weekends and then you would lift during the week with Mike Boyle. So I was, I was a part of that first satellite program. It was 1979. Yeah. I'm aging myself right now. 1979 birth year in 1978. And at 13, 13, 14 years old, we got the opportunity to go in and work out with Mike Boyle at nice. BU, which was like, Whoa, you had yeah, read at this. That age, right? Yeah. You like read the stuff about Mike and you're getting in there and you're really working out for the first time. And it was right. Like the people that were in there at the time, obviously Glenn Harris, Walter Norton, Jeff Oliver, who's a head strength and conditioning coach at, at Holy Cross and just the education through the weight room and nutrition that you had with them, like kind of like set the standard, like, Oh, I'm going to try to live up to this or can I get here? And yeah, to be able to have worked out with Mike from the age of 13 until I was 22, 23, like, really lucky and I still from from those days like trying to work out as much as I can every day yeah I can't get the clean up as as much as I used to but still a lot of fun <laughs> don't trying. we all yeah we exactly all. right <laughs> I love his by the way his adult classes are awesome oh are they yeah, if you ever have a chance to do those not quite as intense as the back in the yeah. day the, the athlete stuff but like great still just awesome classes best in the business right for sure for sure. And so all those life lessons, so the adversity, the work ethic, the everything. So that transition to whether a big role or not, I know you critique yourself, but just such a small percentage of athletes that effectively do move on to get a chance to play in the NHL is so small. And you had an opportunity to do that, which is, again, just incredible with your whole background when you add it all up. Yeah, I think the one I'm... I was telling the story to one of our kids the other day. I think that like the one that I'm proudest of is like getting the opportunity to have played for the Blackhawks, right? Like I think same thing, like you play for the Bruins. It was my third year. And even though it was like a small window and it had taken a while to work up to that, I think you kind of take that opportunity for granted. And then, I mean, you're 
four or five, five or six, like you're two and a half years later from the time that I got that other opportunity and you'd gone through so many different places mm. in the midst of two, three years, like that 0405 is the, is the lockout. I don't really have a place to go. I end up getting traded from Providence. Like I don't even think I played many games. Go down to Hershey the next year, don't have a job. I am in camp with the Danbury Trashers <laughs> of, of the UHL. Like I not, never actually play a game with them. A good friend of mine, Mike Souza, who's the oh, head, yeah. head, yep. co- head men's coach at UNH, yep. makes a call on my behalf to Al McIsaac, who is the general manager of the Norfolk Admirals. And he's like, you should take this guy. He's not a veteran. Doesn't, won't count against that, against that in the American League. And went down there on a PTO and... Like you just had to put in the put in the work, but that being said, like I had there as my head coach in Norfolk, I had Mike Havland, who was my head coach for the two months that I was in the East Coast League, and when I walked into that locker room in Norfolk, he's like, "Carl, like I'm going to need you to score," and I'm like, "Oh, like <laughs> I haven't done that in pro hockey. Like right. this is a ton of fun," and. Mike was so supportive of me, the person. Like, I remember, like, Mike was the first person that I ever had as a pro coach, which was, like, walk in and talk to me if something's wrong, right? Like, not like, I'm going to call you in and we're going to have a conversation about what you did wrong. Mike was big on, uh, we're going to have conversations. I want to know how you're doing, what's going on in your life. And those two years were the most successful that I had ever been in, in pro hockey. And that's a huge credit to to who Mike was as a person. I remember that second year that I was playing for the Norfolk Admirals. Now that, that group like went on and won the Stanley cup for the Blackhawks. It was like Dustin Bufflin, Troy Brower, Colin Frazier, Adam Burrish, like Brian Bickle. So, and we had this kid, Brian Bochensky that ended up playing for the Bruins Ottawa centers. Like he was a great player and we were both in camp together for Norfolk and I'm on the second power play and Mike's like, we were walking outside the rink one day and Mike Havlin's like, hey, I'd like to talk to you. And I stopped in midstream, like, you're talking to me because you, you want to let me know I'm on the second power play. He's like, yeah, I just want to talk about it because last year we won the first year. And I was like, Brian's better better than me, right? right. He's like, right. yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that, right? Like, you don't mm-hmm. need to talk to me. But that was the type of person he was. Like, right. I think the thing that's har- the hardest about pro hockey and you try to tell people this all the time is like you go into the rink and like you're on the, on the top, like you're on the first line, you're on the first power play. And then it may be two, three weeks later. And right, like you're on the fourth line, you're out of the lineup and you're like, what the heck happened? Right. And that's the biggest transition for our kids that are playing at the next level coming out of St. Mark's. Like they go to junior hockey, they go to college and they, they're like, yeah, like I'm not playing, but the coach isn't talking to me, right? right. Like, so I was really right. lucky for Mike, but like at those next levels, like coaches are getting paid to put food on the table for their families to win and lose. So they don't have the time to really like sit down and have conversations with you as much as you do at the at the prep level. But I was extremely lucky to have Mike and then getting even as limited as it was and not blame for the Blackhawks when they were at their best. Like, uh, I'm really proud of that. Like, just the two and a half years of work, determination, resiliency that it took to, to play for them. Like, that was, I think, my proudest moment in ice hockey. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm sure for your family, it sounds like just a wonderful support cast there. But just really, just to such a small percentage, really, if we look at overall in sports that really get to that, like on the girls' side, that's really the equivalent to playing on the Olympic team, yeah. which is really probably 1% or less, which is just a, a remarkable stat. But listening, I think a lot of takeaways to it seemed that with your success, your, your trail of success, it seemed to be most heightened when you were around folks that really show genuine care and interest in you as a person. And I, I do think, Carl, that that is a huge takeaway for any coaches listening or even families for that matter. Yeah, I mean, this is me, right? And that's like how I respond. And I think the one thing that we say too, you can't coach everyone the same way. Like that's not a reality. But in order to understand what it takes to push someone or push the right buttons to get the best out of everyone. You got to get to know them on a personal level. Like, I mean, we've had kids that have come through St. Mark's that can be pushed extremely hard. Like there's a boy at, at Yale Tucker Hartman that like, I, I could get on him, and yeah. he would respond to that. Yeah. And then there are yeah. other players that if you gave them feedback in front of their peers, they would shut down. Yeah. And so that's fine, right? Like you can't, you can't, like I just said, like you can't coach them all the same way. But like for us at St. Mark's, like I'm really lucky in that I get to, co I get to teach actually all 380 students that are at the school. So I get to know all of them. But then like outside of that for our team, like what we'll always say is like, and it's cliche, like my, my door is always open. Mm. But when they walk into that office, like they recognize that there's a power dynamic. As much as I think like I'm relaxed and like we're going to have this conversation, Rather, you can sense in them that there's something wrong. Like they don't want to share everything that they have to say, like regardless if it's a bad grade and assignment in school, whether it's a social interaction that they had, whether it's ice hockey that's really bothered them. So what we've tried to done try to do is separate them from that office. And like what are the things mm -hmm. that we can do on campus that can get them relaxed, get them to share what's really on their mind. And like the thing for us, and we're really lucky with the facilities that we have. Like, is, like, basketball is really big for us. Yeah, nice. So we actually, like, if you come to St. Mark's in the fall, sorry, if you come to St. Mark's during the fall, like, you'll see 12, 13, 14 boys varsity ice hockey kids playing basketball with me. That's awesome. So this year I've only lost once. That was a difficult loss. Yesterday <laughs> I had 12-11 to Diego base out of California. But it's an opportunity, especially when we play the one-on-one -on -one games. Like, you get to have the conversation about – Right, like the same thing that Jed and Didge had with me. Like, how's your day going? What's going on in school? What are your dreams and aspirations? But now, like, the next step for those kids are, yeah, you have dreams and aspirations, but what, do you, what are those next steps? How do you get there? What are you willing to sacrifice? Do you understand what it looks like when you play Division Three and Division One athletics? Like, mm -hmm. how difficult that actually is, and are you prepared for that? So, yeah, like, that environment of knowing your kids – Knowing how to coach them, that's when you'll get the best out of them. But it is that that environment. I was, again, like so lucky for my parents all the way up through Mike Havlin, like just having great people involved in my life. Yeah. No, it sounds wonderful. And uh, certainly the basketball also sounds pretty fun. I know I would fit right in, I think, at St. Mark's. I love basketball. Yeah. So my story there is my, my mother was a teacher's aide and my dad was a, a police officer. And I was nine years old. And I really wanted like a basketball hoop that was like cemented into the ground. Like you would mm. drive around the neighborhood and you would see them all. And I'm like, oh, I really want to do that. 
and my my mom and dad were like, well, it's $90. And I'm like, okay. They're like, if we're going to spend that money, you're going to use it every day. Right. And right. I was like, okay, done. Like, I will right. use it every day. So it was literally, I would come home from St. T's or St. Sebastian's, and I would I'd do my schoolwork. I'd probably go and play some street hockey, and then I would shoot hoops every day. Like, And I always, with my kids at St. Mark's, like, I am a, a really good bad shot maker. <laughs> like, I can make some bad shots, but it was just all the time that I spent out in the in the street playing basketball every day which was just a ton of fun like I, I will always say to them like I never played in an organized environment basketball is the only sport that I, I played every day from the age of nine to 18 like it didn't regardless if it was rain snow like I was out there playing and often by myself too yeah, which yeah. was which was a, a lot of fun like I always say I'm my best company yeah. but yeah just to have that time away from academics to be out there kind of I mean, I was learning, right? Like we teach a lot of mindfulness at St. Mark's too, mm. but that was my version of, of mindfulness at the time, right? Like kind of living the present. And I was just, I wasn't focused on anything, but just having fun playing basketball. So yeah, that's why we play a lot at St. Mark's. So it's a great backstory there. And of course it's St. Mark's. Now you're, you're doing what you love. That's back coaching. And you must've been just so awesome to go back there. It was like getting the opportunity to work at St. Mark's Right, like I knew that I wanted to be involved in the prep world. Yeah. Like I obviously the the people at St. Sebastian's that had led me to this point, like had such an impact in my life and you wanted to have an impact on the kids. So for the first two years at St. St. Mark's, like I was just the boys varsity ice hockey coach, which was pretty cool, right? Like doing the strength and conditioning business, coming in, coaching those kids, but trying at the same time, to get involved in school as much as I possibly could. Like, I think the second year I ended up working in the, in the Dean's office, like doing whatever they, they asked me to do. And that's just yeah. kind of move forward into, I get the opportunity to teach in the history and social science department. I have two classes there. I have all the kids health classes, which is a lot of fun. So like I said before, like I get to know everyone and that's been the fav- my favorite part of the job. Like I think the one thing that St. Mark's does really well is through their admissions process, they know the type of kid that fits the environment. Like Mm. you're looking for a a kid that's obviously intelligent, but they want to take risks and they want to get involved in the community. Like we wouldn't be successful at hockey if our kids didn't want to play multiple sports. Like all of our kids play at least two varsity sports, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. And then we have about six to nine kids that play three. So that that admissions piece, like they know what is the right fit for St. Mark's, which makes it really easy interacting with them every day. Like they're the best part about the school and getting to talk to them and be around them every day is, it's fun, but it's never the same either. either. Yeah, like, so yeah, I, it, yeah. your day isn't monotonous. Like going into any day at St. Mark's, it, something's going to pop up that you've never heard of before. And hmm. it makes the, it makes the job entertaining. Interesting. Yeah, that is for sure. And yeah, we were talking to coach Paul with Milton a little while ago too, and it had a lot of similarities, like just the, the interactions you, you get to have at the prep because you're just, you're so engaged with the, the campus life and, and their lives. It's really, it's kind of a unique part to being at the prep level. Yeah, and I think what's unique too, and you look at Paul's school in Milton Academy and then ours at St. Mark's, like the boarding aspect is so different too, right? right? Like the idea that breakfast, lunch, and dinner, study hall, and then you're living together, like you really get to know that you really get to know the kids. Like as much as I loved St. Sebastian's, 
right? Like at the end of practice, you're going 23 different ways. Mm. Even for our day students at St. Mark's, they come in, they have breakfast, and then they'll do pra- they'll do their school, they'll do practice, and then all going to the dining hall together. Like that was just a new thing for me. So yeah, you're literally involved in every aspect of their life. And the great part about us and what I inherited in those first two years, 2014, 15, and 15, 16, like the f- the family environment that was created by Scott, right? Like the idea that our day families really look after like the domestic borders and our international kids, taking them home on the weekends, taking them to their club hockey games. Like I inherited that and I can't ask for, for better parents. Like that environment that we have at St. Saint, Saint Mark's is pretty special. Oh, that's great to hear. And of course, I'm, I'm sure you're thrilled you get to give back and coach and now help upcoming young players like yourself at, at one point really a lot of talented players that you've got a chance to work with like the the Sean Farrells Ian Moore now Richard Gallant have gone on to be part of the U.S. development programs I mean that must be pretty special for you yeah we're pretty lucky right like I think there was the group of kids so you're looking at Henry Thrun who played was a captain at Harvard this year and played in the, the NHL with the San Jose Sharks Sean Farrell obviously at Harvard and then Montreal. I think those kids really took a chance on St. Mark's. Mm. Like the team before Henry got there, they had won new, the New England Championship, but it wasn't like this place where you would go and develop into this big star. Like although we had like Ryan Furlan was our goalie, he went to Princeton and then Zach Sakos was a captain at Clarkson. It just wasn't a well-established school that like there, there's a clear path from St. Mark's to playing at these high levels and and I think Henry really was that first one Henry and then a boy Colby Bailey like they were the first ones coming out of this like 2001 Minutemen Flames team which was highly regarded mm. yep. and I remember when the both of them decided to come to St. Mark's like oh wow we got something special here and then Sean came came that next year and then Sean and Henry made the national program you're like they've shown what right like two things right like they shown that you can come to St. Mark's and play at a high level, but you can be a really good student. You can play multiple sports and you can still play at the highest level. Like for Henry, like he just got done world championships and obviously playing for San Jose. But when he was at St. Mark's before the national program, he played varsity soccer, varsity boys hockey and varsity boys lacrosse. Mm -hmm. Like, and he was a leader on campus and he was a high honor roll student. And, And I think the thing that Henry did that was so important for our culture was everyone else that came in after tried to live up to that. And no, not that, that that's a reality, but at a school like St. Mark's, we need the kids to participate in every aspect of the school. So like the next year it was Tucker Hartman and Tucker Hartman played boys varsity soccer, boys varsity ice hockey, boys varsity lacrosse. And now you have, and Tucker went on to play at Yale now you, it's easy to make that sell. Like you can do everything, yeah, yeah. right? Like you can get away from hockey. You can play a sport, but you could still play at the highest level. And that was why having Henry, Sean, having Colby, like why they were so important to everything that had kind of been started at St. Mark's. And yeah, am, am I, am I lucky to come to the rink and work with those kids every day? Yeah. It's a ton of fun to have like the smallest bit of impact and, in their lives and what we always say and the best part of my job like as far as being the head coach of boys ice hockey is getting them to, getting to see them live out their childhood dreams mm. 
Like that is, that's the best part of my job. Cause right. Like you were able to sit down with Dave and Deb Thrun, like Henry's parents and like, what, like what are your expectations? Like what are your kind of, and like national programs, like that small snippet of it, but they wanted like Henry to have a successful, like and fruitful experience at St. Mark's. And that made it easy. Like, to kind of put forth the steps that are actually going to make Henry successful in the, in the game of ice hockey. Yeah. And then to see like Henry, like make the national program, play world juniors, play world championships, and now like get the opportunity to play his first few games in the national hockey. Like that's a ton of fun because of the work they put in and the type of families that they come from, the type of people that they, they are. So yeah, that's the best part of my job is seeing the kids real, realize their dreams. No, oh, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Really special player special story special coach and i think since you've been around the scene for for a while you must have seen some changes over the years like obviously the the prep scene is nothing ever really stays the same i, I don't think but it, it it evolves and now we're starting to see a little bit more of the prevalence of academies mm-hmm. and things like that like what do you think is maybe a direction that we're going to be heading in the near future yeah, I don't, I don't know, right? Like, I don't think that you're ever going to see an escape from prep hockey, right? Like, I think that's a question that was asked. I think Evan might have asked that in a survey that he had sent out to prep coaches. I don't think you ever see a departure from prep hockey in the sense that, right, like it's so tied to the academic piece and there right. are so many right. families that, that want their kids to have... So why would you not want that? Yeah, you really? want your kids to have the full experience, and that, I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to table that in the sense that the academies are really good too, mm. right? Like there is a prep school for every kid. Yeah. There certainly is. But prep school is not for every kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like as much as that environment is was important for me, it's important for Tommy and Jane, like to find the right environment for each person, right? Like that's what's going to make them successful. So a hockey academy, the opportunity to play hockey, to be around coaches that are going to develop you, like in the game of hockey itself, that's really important for for a kid as well. Like we always say to families, like if there's one person out there that's telling you that there is one particular path for every kid, like they're, that's the person to stay away from, right? Like, so I think, are you going to see more academies? Yeah, you're probably going to see more academies and that's not a bad thing, right? Like it just means that there is a level of competition or you'll raise the level of competition across New England hockey and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I don't think you're ever going to see a departure pr- from prep hockey just because the schooling is so good across the board and you take for granted how many good schools there are in New England. But I mean, you take a look at a program, Mount St. Charles, and what they've done in four years and mm. what those people have done down there. That's They've done amazing work, and they have gotten kids to the next level, and that's really all you can ask for. And as long as they're in a supportive environment, which I think they are at, at those places, I, I do think you'll see more of them. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, and hey, things are always changing. Yeah, they are changing. Right? Like just 20 year, years ago, the development model looked different. Now it looks different now and another five or ten years it will continue to evolve it'll be completely different i'm sure i mean i think though i haven't seen much change like i don't know what i've i, know, yeah, I probably didn't answer the question the right way like no, what what is the changes come in the in the last 10 years i just think what you're seeing and this would be the real change and especially like affected at a school like saint mark's 
So what you're seeing at those academies is that the younger kids are going there, right? Like playing age appropriate, the 14, U15. And then like if they want to take and play against older kids, they may go to the prep. They may go to the USHL. So some of those younger kids are getting picked off as as opposed to go to prep school and maybe play a year of freshman, maybe play here and there on your varsity team. So I think that's probably the biggest change in the 10 years is the younger kid is playing age-appropriate hockey. Mm, yeah, definitely not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, right? Like, I think that's the one thing for us where we've we've been able to kind of hold that off a little bit in the sense that, like, at St. Mark's, like, our early entry point is the freshman year. You don't have a lot of kids that come in in your junior year at St. Mark's, so we are typically a younger program than a lot of the teams in at least in new england maybe even the isl so we can still have kids that come in and be successful like richard gallant and sean mm-hmm. farrell and henry thron and the jimmy livers of the world right like that come in and will play a si- significant role as a freshman and then they can kind of see that development moving forward at st mark so we've been able to hold it off a little bit so not bad and now coach it is time to pivot to our Rinkwise Overtime Live. I'm gonna turn it over to our producer David Yez. Overtime. Thank you, Stephanie. Three questions for both of you. They have not seen these questions before. The drama builds. All right. <laughs> Carl, since you are our guest, you can go first. First one's a softball. What is your first memory of playing hockey? Oh shoot. All right, so I'm really lucky in, in the fact that I grew up in Framingham. My son's playing Framingham youth, youth Hockey. I remember House League. I remember a teammate of mine scoring on our own goal. I remember getting really mad at him, chasing him down the ice, and then my parents had to come from the stands and yell at me and tell me I can't talk to a teammate like that. So that's my first memory of hockey, House League and Framingham. And first lesson learned, I guess. Oh, yeah, that was my first lesson for sure. <laughs> that is How about you, one. Steph? Yeah, I think I, I hit on this, but so I grew up playing hockey in Canada at my, my youth, and we started as Timbits. So that was what we were called because yeah. Tim Hortons was a big yeah. thing, right? So instead of Munchkins, they called it Timbits. Mm. So that would you'd skate around with a little jersey on that said Timbits on the back. And Lots, lots of fun. And this was this is a, a league, right? Did, did, did either one of you ever play outdoor hockey? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. I actually, so St. Mark's used to be an outdoor rink. Really? And so they used to have skating events on Sundays for local citizens. And we used to go out and I used to chase people around the rink. So, yeah, <laughs> Jeff Drake, Lindsey Drake, I used to chase them around. That's, that's what I remember about playing outdoor hockey. All right. Question number two, Stephanie, first to you. What are the best uniforms in the NHL? Oh, boy. Well, I'm going to have to go with the Boston Bruins, right? So we're New England. Palmer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, New England-based, rink-wise, got to go with the Bruins. Man, I'm going to get in trouble here. Toronto Maple Leafs? <laughs> like the blue? Those, I, I think, clean. I think those are the classic. Blue and green? There's some uh, green no, in there? or No, no, no. Okay. I think they're clean. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 so the blue, the white Maple Leaf. I think those are the cleanest uniforms in the NHL, and the blue ones, I, for me anyways, are, are the best ones. I know yeah, that will get me in trouble away. in Boston. Pretty sharp. Yeah, they are sharp. All I did was ask you what the best-looking uniforms are. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything else. All right, for the final one, we have a hockey rules question. Oh, jeez. So let's say a team 
we're into penalty shot phase of the game, and the coach tells the goalie to come over and instead sends out a defenseman to stand in front of the goal to defend the goal. Is is this allowed, or would the ref step in and say, no, you can't do that? Steph, you want to go first? So I'm just trying to understand completely the question. So the it, it, It's a penalty shot, right? Okay, and sorry. And the coach yep. tells his own goalie that instead of defending the shot, goalie, come off the ice, I'm going to put in a defenseman to defend the goal. And then the defenseman, in theory, would be able to come out and defend as that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I guess if the coach wants to declare that that defender is, in fact, going to be the goalie, mm. then I guess you I would say, okay? yeah, it's allowed. Coach? I'm going to say that in a shootout scenario, and I clearly don't read the rule book at the high school <laughs> or collegiate or NHL level, I'm going to say that there is probably something stated that you need to have a goalie stick or pad or something like that. So I'm going to say, no, you can't do it. You're correct. So, Stephanie, nice. you are partially correct because you did say something about declaring a goalie. Rule 24.2, penalty shots, provides only a player designated as a goalkeeper or alternate goalkeeper may defend against the penalty shot. Okay. So, we learned something today, didn't we, kids? Thank you very much. Very yes. interesting. You've both successfully negotiated this section of overtime, and uh, next time the ice cream truck rolls around, ice cream's on me, guys. Nice, <laughs> thanks, well Dave. Yep. Appreciate it. Sounds good. Well, I always, I always used to joke, because for a while at AP, we would only have one goalie for, like, years. Okay. We've carried one goalie, so I would always joke with, like, our defenseman. I'm like, well, if she gets hurt, you're going in. You're going to be the first person I call on, so... So I would have done it. I would have declared that defenseman as a goalie, I guess. But uh, but this has been great. We can't no, thank, thank you, you enough for coming in and just some great stories and great different insights and perspective on hockey. And clearly, we could just keep talking forever. No, I appreciate. To, I appreciate. To be continued. The, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to come in and yeah, any any opportunity, ch chance to talk about hockey or or development. I love doing it. So thank you very much. Excellent. We'll sh have to be sure to have you back on again at some point, but, uh, but good luck this upcoming season. Thank you very much, Stephanie. And that does it for this edition of RinkWise. Our podcast is produced by David Yaz. Be sure to catch us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Any Hockey Journal, and subscribe with us online at HockeyJournal.com. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. RinkWise is a Siemens Media production.